Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing this morning? Wow, you, you packed out the early service. You must be ready to study God's Word together. Is that right? I, I love it. If you were power on your Bible or turn in the one in the book rack to Acts chapter 11, we're continuing our annual teaching series, Underground Jesus. And this is the time where we talk about what our church's mission, vision, and values looks like. We go over our four movement stake, uh, maker statements that you see out in the hallway there. But that said, uh, will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now as well. I'm glad that you're here. Share this service live. We want to put this out all over the world right now. Everybody online, share this. Uh, whatever social media feed you got going. Uh, we can't wait to see the impact God makes online this morning as well. Uh, but I'm pumped to be back. I, I was up in Anderson last weekend, and uh, we saw 505 people come out to the first service at the Anderson Church. And, and here was the coolest thing. I've been up there twice, uh, once for the Family of Churches worship gathering and then for their initial service. And we've seen 20 baptisms just at those two services, many of those new believers in, in Jesus. And it's incredible what the mission of Jesus does when we allow the Spirit of God to move. If you've ever wondered why we call this series the underground mission of Jesus, I find that a lot of Christians today are very interested in public ministry, but are much less interested in the underground disciple-making movement that we read about in the New Testament that often feels very chaotic where no individuals get the credit and we just see the kingdom of God expand rapidly within a lifetime. That's what revival truly looks like. And so we like to remind ourselves uh, once a year of how we could actually see that. So last week we talked about our, our motto to live boldly, love deeply. This week we're going to look at our mission statement and why we live out our faith the way that we do. And really at the heart of it is, I believe that every Bible-believing church where Jesus is at the center, the Spirit of God is on the move, you see people have radical life transformation. Lives change. We have seen people over soon to be the last 12 years of our church who were, had been in prison previously and had radical life change and became leaders in our church. We've seen atheists and agnostics have radical life change and become devout followers of Jesus, leading people to the Lord and serving and leading in the ministry. We've seen marriages that were over and done, radically changed, brought back together, and new relationship form with that same couple again, where they put Jesus at the center of it and transforms their entire family. We've seen people who just were kind of going through life, trying to live the suburban dream, and God did something in their heart that instilled this devotion and passion that transformed people's lives around them, both in the inner city, in the suburbs, and in rural areas all over our state and around the world. And it doesn't just happen in a Mercy Road church. That happens in the, the ch any church where Jesus is at the center and the Spirit of God is allowed to move. Now, I don't know if you can tell yet, but I'm going to get a little fired up this morning because I think that this is one of the things missing from American Christianity, that we're more interested in nostalgic feelings of grandma and grandpa's church than we are the mission of Jesus actually changing lives today. And I want you to know, if you've come in here and you are far from God and you feel like nobody understands you, nobody cares about what you're going through, 
I want you to know that whether a human being fails you or not, the God of the universe created you on purpose and for a purpose, and he has a reason for your life. And we have seen people who have just gone against the wall that God has so radically changed their lives, they went on to be what we often refer to sleeping giants of the faith that awaken to the reality of Christ and go on to change the world in radical ways. We had a group of our missionaries sent out from our church with Eric Maitland, our worship pastor, who had his life radically transformed over two decades ago in a fraternity house who had been going all over the summer putting on a summer tour for addiction recovery all over the state. They had their final one just yesterday. And we're seeing others who have come from that background join with them in addressing the addictive habits happening in our culture and saying, God can change lives radically. What we're going to see here in Acts chapter 11, if you're not familiar with the New Testament story, it goes something like this. So, so Jesus, he comes into the world, fully God, fully human, begins to perform miracles and shows his 12 disciples. And then beyond those 12, we often forget he had many other people he was pouring into the 70 that they would send out at a time. Thousands of people are following and listening to his sermons and, and, and following them wherever they go. But then he is crucified in Jerusalem. He resurrects on the third day. And the good news that anybody who has uh, surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus can share in that resurrection that anybody, no matter what your background, if you repent of your sin, can draw near to a perfect God, live eternally in heaven, and have God with you in your life now. And that message begins to spread. And despite persecution, Christianity begins to spread rapidly in the immediate area of Jerusalem. But there's one guy who it doesn't go well for him. The first seven deacons of the church, one of them, his name is Stephen. And because of his faith, he will actually be stoned to death and persecuted by religious zealots, Pharisees of their day. And it was actually that sacrifice that led to even more rapid expansion of the gospel because they begin to scatter after that beyond Jerusalem and they go all over the eastern part of the Roman Empire and they will end up in Antioch. Antioch was a city just north of Jerusalem and that place that is not Jewish where Gentiles, people who were considered pagans, godless people, that's the place where home base of Christianity will be set up. And it's actually because of that persecution and the scattering of the Christians that you will see it spread all over the Roman Empire within just a few generations. And so I want to show you what's possible when we live with the type of passion and devotion that you see the early Christians do. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. Acts chapter 11, verse 1, it says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, this would have been radical. These were the, the pagans, the godless people. You don't eat with them. You don't hang out with them. You don't discuss life with them. And now the good news of Jesus is for them. They're no longer outsiders. They're insiders. They're part of the family. And so here's what happens. Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, they say up because Jerusalem was elevated, the circumcised believers criticized him. So there were those who didn't like that the gospel was spreading to hurting and broken people. And they begin to say, hey, we don't like this. And Peter is not going to have it. Verse 3, and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. See, 
I think every move of Jesus in our culture today really begins with reaching those who are far from God, having radical life change. And this is the, the message usually in this series where we talk about our mission statement that I'm going to read here in a moment about reaching people far from God. And we focus on reaching people far from God. Why? We're a, we're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Not because being a saint is a bad thing. Purity and righteousness is a good thing, but we don't want to be a museum. We want to be a place of healing broken lives. But we're not the morgue for sinners. So if you came here and you're living in all kinds of sin right now, you got a lot of brokenness in your life. We're not asking you to come here and just spiritually die and to not see change. We're asking you to be encountered by the good news of Jesus, our good doctor that can bring healing into our lives. And that's what happens here in Acts chapter 11. The gospel is spreading to the Gentiles themselves, and it will be a turning point in the life of early Christianity. Now, in a very small way, not on the level of Acts chapter 11, but in a very small way, we saw something like this happen in, in Mercy Road Church and even within the family of churches. You may not realize this, but when we first started the church, uh, we started our outposts first. We had about five of them in homes meeting around the, the city here. And we gathered for worship on September 25th, 2011 at Clay Middle School here in Carmel. This beautiful 550-seat theater in, in the middle school, it was incredible. In the first week, we had almost half of that filled up. It was amazing. God was on the move. And about six months later, there was like 60 or 70 people sitting in this giant room together. And I remember just going, okay, God, I moved from California. We've been through a lot. Why, why are you doing all this? And we just started focusing on one life at a time. One person coming to faith. And the church began to grow some. And what happened next was uh, we had to be out of that school. And we, we moved to College Avenue, this little property that somebody was willing to lease us there in home place, the southern part of Carmel School District. And we just started reaching people in the community and all of a sudden, at our second birthday bash, so two years in, we were celebrating, and that morning we were baptizing 12 people, and which was the most people we'd ever baptized. And it was in a horse trough because we didn't have a baptism tank. I always say the water would be freezing cold. You literally die with Christ and raise again. That was kind of how it went. And in that moment, we baptized the 12th person. We went into singing Amazing Grace. And, and I've shared this story a number of times, but the building that morning shook. And, you know, I wasn't like, oh, this is an amazing moment of faith. The Spirit of God is upon us. I was like, dude, I think we just had an earthquake. And I, I got out the, you know, I lived in California for a long time, so I looked it up, no earthquake. And so then I told the, the engineering firm that owned the building, you need to get the structural engineers out here. Something's wrong with your building. And they could find nothing wrong with the building. And so to this day, I, I at least have no other explanation. Those who were there often agree with me that like God in that moment, it was the turning point in the life of our church. He shook that building saying he is with us if we are truly prioritizing people who are far from God discipling them into a passionate relationship with Jesus, as we're going to look at here in a moment. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 11. Look what happens next. We're going to skip all the way down to verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When God is on a move, you cannot stand in his way. 
The great things that we have seen over the last soon to be 12 years of our church have nothing to do with any individuals or talented people. It has to do with God is real. And you're here today and like somebody brought you and and you may open yourself up to the reality of the spirit of God in a room with us right now for the first time this morning. Those attending online. And I'm telling you, when you first realize it, it'll freak you out a little bit. That God created the universe. He's, He's with us right now here. And he created you and he loves you and he knows the mistakes you've made and he still loves you. And that's what starts happening in Antioch. And the spirit of God is moving and nothing can stand in God's way. Verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish descendants, they considered them pagans, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Our, our mission statement, yeah, amen, our mission statement as a church is we exist to see people far from God, discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. And I told you, we, we normally, I like to focus on the, the far from God. And I want you guys to understand how important that is. But this morning, I'm going to focus some on the second half. That the goal then is to produce passionate followers of Christ who are unashamed of how God could use them in their lives. And I want to give you some examples of that this morning. Will you pray with me? God, uh, We just pause and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us right now. For those attending online, watching on a TV or on their iPad or phone or whatever device they have, God, that we acknowledge that your presence, your Holy Spirit is there at the same time, that you're omnipresent. God, we pray this morning that you might speak to each of us right where we're at. We pray for what we read about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, radical life change, because nothing, no one stands in your way when you're moving. And so, Jesus, we pray that we even be vulnerable enough this morning to let down our own personal barriers that we've set up, often as protections in our life, God, that we might allow you in in a way we never have this morning. We love you and we worship you. And we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. 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 You know, we, in the second half of our mission statement, we want to see people be passionate in their faith, develop a passion for Jesus. That, I thought a lot about that word, and I intended to come in this morning and say, where have you seen passion in your life? Maybe it was a concert. People just fully devoted, just belting out the words to that concert. Maybe it's in a sporting event, like if you've been around a basketball game where somebody's so devoted. But I just went through something yesterday, and I don't have anything else to share than what I'm going through in life and what God's been speaking to me. And I was in a a tennis tournament yesterday. Now, I know what you're saying. Some of you like, tennis is not a real sport. Yes, it is. It is in many ways. And uh, especially as you get older, it's exhausting. And I was uh, playing in a match and was just looking at the level of passion that people had. I mean, there was one guy who was losing. He was chucking balls and throwing rackets against the wall. Should have been a penalty point, but wasn't. There was lots of uh, uh, passion occurring in both the men's and women's teams, the occasional argument that would break out, because when you really are devoted to something, you want to see it accomplished. And uh, well, unfortunately, I lost my match. Our team won yesterday, so I do want to mention that my team is a state champion of Indiana, 
and I don't get to share good things about my life very much. So, uh, you know, that, do what you want with that. You're like, Josh, that is really lame. Um, uh, you know, but it was, it was a good day yesterday, got to celebrate, and I, I realized, like, we understand passion in other areas of our life. We even understand passion within a, a romantic relationship, right? I've told the story many times how I met my wife, but you may not realize when we met, uh, we got engaged within just a few months. Uh, we were married within 10 months of meeting each other. It was like we knew what we wanted. In fact, on my ring... She engraved on the inside of it, passionately yours. And you're like, that's so sweet. No, when I got it, I was actually annoyed because I thought, oh, I'm going to feel that all the time. Why would I want that on the inside of my ring? That's kind of marriage in a nutshell, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and now all these years later, I'm like so thankful she did something like that to signify like the, the type of life that we wanted together. And I think that when we think about our relationship with God and we think of the word passion, we're, we want to see people far from God discipled. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere, right? We have to disciple people into a passionate relationship with Jesus. And that's what you see in the early New Testament times. There was radical life change of people far from God, and they get so passionate in their faith. They go on to change the world around them. If you don't uh, know what the word passion is, I'm using this definition Passion is intense, driving, or overmastering feeling or conviction. Just overwhelmingly uh, intense drive and conviction for something. So let's not apply it to sports or to romantic relationships. Let's apply that to our, our relationship with God. Do you have a passionate life with God? If you're like, eh, sometimes, <laughs> that's probably most of us, right? I'll be the first to admit there are times that I fail in this area of my life. And I want to challenge each of us, myself included this morning, to develop a passionate relationship with God, which is really the main point of this sermon. If you're taking notes, here's how you can develop a passionate relationship with God. Number one, according to Acts chapter 11, I think this is maybe the most important point this morning. It begins with repentance. We don't really like that term, you know, because we've heard preachers build it up. It's time to repent. And I, I want to tell you, like, uh, repentance is a beautiful thing. It, it's, it's getting to receive the free gift of grace and forgiveness that God freely offers you. But it only happens when we have the humility to admit our broken nature before God. To develop a passionate relationship with God, it begins, number one, with repentance, and anyone can do it. That's the best part. Anybody can participate in it, but you have to have the humility to choose it. Acts chapter 11, verse 17. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The pagans, the Gentiles, they're in Antioch. If he's given them the gift of forgiveness and grace and mercy, the good news of Jesus, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Right? Peter's like, nobody can stand in the way of God when he's moving. So if he's going to say, hey, we're going to reach even those who are broken, we're going to allow that to occur. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections. Kind of the religious zealots there, they finally get it. They have no further objections and praise God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Leave that up there for just a moment. Granted repentance that leads to life. 
You know, I, I find it interesting that for many of us, we often talk about the good news of Jesus, how it's for everyone, totally true. But according to that verse and most verses, in order to receive that good news, it begins with repentance. Simple confession of our sin not only releases us from the, the weight and the baggage that lay on us. Some of us, we got things in here we have repressed and pushed down for years, decades, And look, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad about your life. (laughs) I'm here to tell you the good news is you don't have to live that way. (laughs) God, yeah, God offers freely that good news to you. So you don't have to carry that baggage around anymore. He wants to carry the bags for you. You can be forgiven and relinquished from those choices and decisions. And so if we think about them from a mission perspective about the church, then we're Part of this teaching series is about the decentralized approach that you see in the New Testament to church where it's not based on a few, but the empowering of the priesthood of all believers expanding all over our state and around the globe. And so the the question I've got for you today then, if, if we're looking at the pagans or the Gentiles, who are the pagans today? Because I think this, the understanding of this is kind of lost on us because for the Jewish community, it's very clear who the Gentiles were. But the pagans in our culture today, people far from God in our mission statement, are in our own communities. They're in our workplaces. They're at our schools, right? Like, they're they're all around, and and they're not good people and bad people, right? It's not the the, the Christ followers are the good people, and the, the pagans are the bad people, It's we're all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23, and the only ones who are righteous are those who have received faith in Christ, not because of our works, but because of his. And so to us today, the the unclean people that rebelled against God, God is inviting those people in the same way that uh, today that he did back then. That means if the fourth week is we're going to look at, we're going to reach our greater movement maker statement to reach a million people for Christ in the state of Indiana. We put a date on it by the year 2050. We're going to have to love a whole lot of terrible people. And And that's even a little bit of judgment in what I said, and that's probably not 100% accurate, right? Because all of us have a little bit of terrible people in us. And so we're going to have to learn to love every human being right where they're at. And I want to tell you today, if you've come in here with the past, you have come to the right place. And while I can't guarantee you that a human being in Mercy Road Church won't fail, I want to tell you that the God that we're worshiping will never fail you. He knows where you're at, where you've been, and he's calling you into a greater life with him. If you're here today and you feel like an outsider to the family of God, God invites you in, but it requires repentance. Repentance means you're going this direction in your life. You feel the conviction of God. You do a 180. You say, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm surrendering my will to your will, God. Use me. I thank you for your forgiveness and grace that I don't deserve. I receive it today. It's only the humble. C.S. Lewis said the greatest uh, temptation for people today is pride. And it's only those who can let go of their pride and in humility repent that will get to enter into the family of God. Number two, if you're taking notes and you want to develop a passionate relationship with God, it begins with repentance, but it requires a passionate heart for God. It, that, that's kind of our theme for the entire year. 
was the heart of God. We want to develop the heart of God in our people. And if you get passionate in that, you will begin to see this relationship develop. If you live with great conviction, like it said there earlier, the definition of passion, like overwhelming conviction, then you will begin to see God move more in your life. Verse 19, let's look what their passion led to in the city of Antioch. Now, those who had been scattered, remember, persecution broke out because of Stephen. It says it here, by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, let's get clear on this. Verse 19 there. The Jews were the one that persecuted, the the Pharisaic Jews at least, persecuted Stephen and stoned him to death. I don't know about you, but if I wasn't passionate in my faith and my buddy got stoned to death because of it, and then I was living in fear, so I ran away from Jerusalem, the last thing I'm going to go do is talk to more Jewish people about the good news of Jesus. But they had this overwhelming passion and conviction that he truly resurrected from the grave and his good news was for everybody, that they had no choice but to spread it everywhere that they possibly could. Think of what that would look like today in your life. And sometimes we'll refer to people who truly are passionate in their faith as like Jesus freaks or there's something wrong. Then can't you talk about something other than Jesus? And look, I'm not telling you to be weird, right? But I am telling you to follow the spirit and the spirit doesn't always make sense. And, and, and that means you're going to have to go out and go, God, use me, and I'm going to live with a level of devotion that I see the early Christians live with. Verse 20, if you go on, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, so they go back to Antioch, and began to speak to Greeks also. So now they're going to, to not just the Jewish people, but people who spoke Greek. Uh, it's not just that they were descended uh, of Greeks, but they spoke Greek, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And then here you see it again, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. And when the Lord's hand is with you, anything is possible. The the family member that you know hates Christians, has been angry at God for 30 years. If the hand of God is with you with the love and compassion to live boldly and love deeply, like we talked about last week, the grace and truth of Jesus, anything is possible. Anything is possible. You can see people far from God discipled in a passionate relationship with Jesus. In fact, if you look on and later here, it says, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I think whenever you see the heart of repentance occur, where you see people actually willing to go where God is asking them to go, complete devotion and passion for Jesus you will see people who didn't know Jesus coming to faith in the Lord and God will add to their number regularly. And I think it's one of the lies. Could I just be real for you for just a second? I think we can do a lot of shallow things in the name of church growth to grow a local church. Our our job is never to grow a local church, but our job is to see people far from God, disciple in a passionate relationship. And when the hand of the Lord is with you, you will see numbers grow every time. And I think sometimes in our culture, we do one of two things. We, we mistake rapid growth for kingdom advancement and people coming to know the faith. People far, you could grow a church and not have people far from God discipled in a passionate relationship with Jesus. Would you agree? You could also, on the other hand, become very devoted to things of growing deep 
and never see any life transformation happen. I would argue you're not really going deep with the Lord if you're not seeing life transformation happen and God adding to your, the numbers of people in that community. And when I say adding to the number, I mean people who weren't Christians becoming Christians, just so we're clear. Because that's what happens when we live devout and just allow God to do what he does. You know, of the last uh, 12 years, we've never done anything really great. I always remember this. When we first started the church, I had this great idea. We were going to be in the summertime. I thought that not many people would be there our first summer as a church in the school. So I, I got this uh, recording artist that was fairly well known, and I, I got radio advertisements to let him know this recording artist was going to be there. And we had him come in, and we had the least number of people we had ever had attend a service before. And I just realized, God, my schemes don't really work very well. And so I'll be honest, in that time, it was a very hard time. And I, I, I had been working a lot of long hours, six plus days a week, just going, God, I'll do anything you want. And I started working less and praying more. And I don't think we need to be lazy, but I'm working less and praying more. And I'll tell you, man, God began to show up. Because when the hand of the Lord is upon you and upon the people and in our communities, and in the people who are in schools and in the workplaces and in the homes and in our neighborhoods, it begins to transfer radically of kingdom expansion in our communities. That's what happens in Antioch. News of this, verse 22, reached the church in Jerusalem. <laughs> they were like, we got to do something. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch as a representative. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That passionate heart for the Lord, if we see that type of devotion, it leads to radical life change. Verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. If you're like, why do you guys plant these churches? Don't we have enough churches? <laughs> you know, uh, we, through Multiply Indiana, we will soon have planted over 30 churches in the state of Indiana in the last six or seven years. And... And Anderson is the fifth Mercy Road Church, and it'd be very like, don't we have enough churches? I want to tell you, uh, less than 20% of people in Indiana attend a worship service on any given weekend. Over 60% of the population have no interest in ever attending or uh, going to any church or Christian function ever. We could double the number of churches and not reach people. The question is not the number of churches. It says, are our churches devoted to reaching people who are far from God? Because we're often afraid of them. We look more like we're like the Pharisees sometimes, judging people, telling people that have come in with things that we know don't line up with Scripture, and they don't know Jesus yet, but we're already putting all of this stuff on them that they're not even aware of. If we start by teaching people to encounter Christ, I believe radical life transformation comes when they've actually experienced him. And we've, we've, taught, we've seen that. And the goal isn't to to not produce you know, passionate, Bible-believing disciples of Jesus. That's 100% the goal. But we have to let God do what only God can do. And so if I ask you how passionate you are, you know, we've got some things coming up. That's why we, we planted Mercy Road Anderson. Pray for them. They had so many people last week. They ran out of every chair in the building. They, ran out of the, they brought the couches in from the lobby and ran out of space. People were standing on the walls, not on the walls, against the walls. And we... So they went to two services this weekend, which was not a part of the plan, so pray for them. It's kind of a big morning for them. And over the coming weeks, the same thing. 
Uh, and then, you know, you may have heard, hopefully you have heard at 1.30 p.m. today, we have a big, big thing happening in the history of the Mercy Road family of churches. The first Mercy Road Espanol is starting today. And I invite you to uh, come out. Uh, it is primarily uh, uh, attempting to reach the Spanish-speaking community, but uh, there will be translation in English as well today. And uh, anybody is welcome at 1.30. And if you are, don't speak Spanish, but you want to help get involved, they, they could use volunteers in different areas. Uh, just fill out a Connect card today, and we'll get you plugged in. And we're doing that because God doesn't want to stop until every tribe, every nation has understood the name of Jesus. As James talked about earlier, where I, I may have given my life to Christ for the second time when James was <laughs> praying earlier. And I'm just telling you, uh, that type of radical life transformation can happen in every people group, every culture. It's why we sacrifice, and it's actually the stoning of Stephen and that great sacrifice that occurred was the beginning of the radical expansion of the early church. It's why people have sacrificed here in this church for years, 12 years, because they've wanted more people to come to know faith. They had every reason not to sacrifice because they could have kept the church smaller and more convenient for them and their family. And instead they changed, they adapted, and they said, hey, we want to reach more people for Christ. You realize that this building, a three-year-old church bought this building, used to be a Borders bookstore. We had no resources. Uh, somebody told us if we were lucky, we could raise $250,000. And we decided we'd not be able to do anything with that. So we told the congregation we're going to try and raise $700,000 as a three-year-old church, so we could have a down payment on a property. Then we found this property, and now we needed the money not in two years, but in two months. And, and guess what? Uh, we raised $400,000 in two months, and then I don't encourage people to do this, but families in the church borrowed against their homes to figure out how to lend the additional $300,000. We purchased it. We paid those families back in half the amount of time that we had told them we would, and God began something radical, but it took great sacrifice. The Mercy Road family of churches, that happened because people uh, donated $3 million over three years, which seems crazy to me. I grew up in a small town. Numbers like that don't exist. And I just remember going, I, this is beyond my understanding. I'm not really the leader to lead something like this. And like all of a sudden, it, it is working and happening. And Multiply Indiana was started because this church raised about a half a million dollars to help enable church planting to occur in our state. And we are seeing more people come to faith by far across the state of Indiana who will never attend this original Mercy Road Church. Because the, the God really works and human beings don't have to control it. We don't have to have people who are the, the decision makers and the power mongers. And, and look, I love all churches. I'm not trying to talk bad about it, but I want to tell you, if we actually allow God to do what only God can do, radical life transformation occurs. And so, you know, we got a, a, a big thing to me, but small compared to those things coming up at the end of this year. Our, our board just decided, look, uh, we're going to be planting churches again in the near future. But for now, we want to figure out how to reach as many people as possible. And uh, last week, we ran out of chairs at 10.15 again. At 10.15 and 11.30, uh, we run out almost every other week at one of those services. And so we're trying to figure out what's, what do we do. And so we've worked with someone, and we found that uh, there is a way that we can uh, fit significantly more chairs in this space and maybe take down some walls a little bit 
and reach 150, 200 more people on a weekend. It'll still be super comfortable, but it'll involve putting theater chairs in, which I never thought about this. Theater chairs come up when you're not sitting in them, so you can walk through the aisle easier and you gain like six inches of space. I don't know. But the math works out that you could comfortably sit like you do any other place you go, uh, 150 to 200 people more if we were to do this. And so we've agreed to embark on a campaign through the rest of this year to attempt to raise uh, half a million dollars to redo the seating in here, redo the stage up here, and then the only thing on this building that we've never done, replace the HVAC. You may not realize this, but in our control room, they've been sweating it out every week uh, because all of the units on this building are original to the building. Uh, Last summer, we had things sweating onto the floor and people slipping, and so we've decided... uh, We want to fix those issues and create a long-term space here to reach as many people as we can in this location so that we can plant more churches and reach more people uh, in the kingdom. Uh, Third and final point is this. God transforms heathens into headquarters. And I know they're going to tell you to come out and knock me off. We'll be fine. We'll run a little late. Parking will be weird. It's all right, because you need to hear this. This is really important. I'm telling you, if we live this out today... This could radically transform everything. And and we think church is just like, if I could feel better so that I go back to work and I don't sin as much. I want to tell you, you're meant for so much more than that. Like God can use you to be a world changer. The third and final point is this. God transforms heathens into headquarters. Look what happens here at the end of Acts 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who will become Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Saul used to persecute Christians, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The first place that people are called Christ followers, Christians, the first place that means like little Christ is in Antioch, not in Jerusalem. It's where the the heathens and the pagans and the Gentiles lived and it became home base for Christianity, not Jerusalem. Because God can radically change lives. And we have to stop thinking. We just have to reshuffle the chairs on the Titanic to entertain Christians to attend different things so that a church will grow and start saying we must reach people who are far from God and disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. And it starts with what God will do in our hearts. If we don't, in humility, repent and turn and say, God, we have made our faith about us to look in the mirror and about what you can do for me, God, and say, God, I repent of that selfish way of thinking. I say, God, transform my life so that I can love my neighbor as myself. You told us to do that. Love our neighbor as ourself, our hurting, broken, far from God neighbor, coworker, kid on a baseball team, the, the kids at school or at high school, in college, to say, God, we want you to use us to make an impact in the lives of others. And that's what you see occur all over the place. I'll end with this. I told you I was going to get uh, fired up this morning, and I'm not going to apologize for that, because I I think that um, God has been doing something very unique for the last couple of years in the family of churches and we've seen so many people come to faith. We're baptizing five more people at the 1130 service today. I mean, we're baptizing people pretty much every Sunday now. It's incredible. 
And I want to tell you, you know, I've been doing this long enough. You see the ups and downs of life. We, we had some hard weeks for some people. We had a funeral here on Friday. Life isn't always easy. I get that. There are reasons that you need some time to grow in faith in God and allow healing for yourself, okay? But I want to tell you, when you get so passionate and you realize that this life is short, you only have so much time on the planet, what you do matters, I'm telling you, man, God can begin to use you to do radical things. And some of you, I know we got different recovery programs that come here. I want to tell you, uh, those of you who have, have come from those places, thank you for coming. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for being honest. And I want to tell you, I, some of you will become the greatest world changers in this room right now because you know what it's like. You know what it's like to truly need God and understand what the Bible teaches about humility repentance. And we all need that type of devotion. If you've never been to a support group where people are actually honest, you probably don't understand what real Christianity can look like sometimes. When we stop faking it and we admit what's really going on in our lives and we repent of our sin and we draw near to God and we say, God, use me to change this broken and hurting world. And so I want to tell everybody in the room, you may have been around church for decades. You may have known the good news of Jesus for the long time, but you have never become a passionate, devout follower of Jesus that has surrendered everything in your life to him as Lord. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now with no shame, okay? God does not look at your past. He wants to carry the bags for you. Will you pray with me? God, right now, for every person in the room, right now, God, we admit that we are broken people. We admit that we all have part of us that is far from you. And so we do this beautiful thing right now. We repent. In humility, God, we admit that we're not God, you are, and we repent of our sin and brokenness. And then if you're here in the room right now and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, pray this with me. God, I repent of everything in my life that's not of you. And on this day, I commit my life to you fully as Lord. Use me, Jesus. God, I, I know somebody prayed that prayer right now. And you know the people praying that prayer who truly mean it. And I pray, God, it would lead to radical life transformation, radical life transformation, become so passionate in their faith that they change the world around us. We love you, Jesus. We surrender our lives to you. Use us. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.